0: This is Steve, and welcome back to another time with us of Restless the Podcast. And hey, it's been a while since we put out a, a long duration story, and we have a, a guest tonight who, well, Luke will tell you about his, his background and profile. But before we do that, uh, welcome back to Restless the Podcast. Hey, we want to encourage you to go to our website, restlessthepodcast.com, and check that out. We just launched a support page after two years of folks kind of urging us on to, hey, if you do this, we'd love to support what you do. And uh, we'd ask you to check that out. And we've kind of hooked up with Subscribestar at four different tier levels to give, and none of them are that expensive. So we'll eventually move a lot of the content that we do over in that direction, but you know if you're in a position that you love what we do, you need to hear this stuff, you know, just get up with us we'll We'll make a way for you to do that, otherwise, support us. It's about four to five thousand dollars a year to do these things, but we've had a great time doing it, and we plan to do even more and If you want to tell your story, go to the website or contact us at info at and we'd like to talk with you. your story. Can touch and change the trajectory of people's lives in an eternal way. So, Luke, tell us about our guest Ryan tonight.
1: Welcome back, everyone, from me as well. Let me tell you about Ryan, whom we're very happy to have on the show today. Ryan is 34 and has quite a diverse background, originally starting his working life in broadcasting after attending academy and spending two years in radio. From there, he went on to become a police officer in a major city on the East Coast. And after 10 years in that police department, now works as a producer for a major news network where he's been for the last three years. With a background like that, as you might imagine, Ryan has a lot of skills, a lot of talents, and a lot of wisdom he's learned in a very short period of time about many, many things. So we're very excited to have him on tonight because I especially think that he's going to bring some very unique perspectives from having such a storied background. Ryan, it's all you, man.
0: Hey, thanks for having me all. How are you? Good. Hey, thank, thanks for coming on, Ryan. I noticed you've been kind of gazing over our equipment here, kind of checking us out since you were in the broadcasting Academy for some period of time. So, so what do you think?
2: I think it's impressive. I think you guys do a great job. I frequently listen to your podcast when they do come out and you're, Press on segments, which I really like.
0: Yeah, so you think the tin cans with the strings between them? Yeah, that seems to be working pretty good.
2: It is old fashioned, you know. You never go wrong, old fashioned. <laughs> I was
1: thinking about adding a nine volt battery to get a little bit more power. You know, yeah.
2: there you go. That would work too. And plus, you can't be tapped into with
0: these things. You know, this electronic <laughs> stuff. You know that is today. But welcome, Ryan.
1: As the as the FBI is currently listening.
0: <laughs> I hope so. Oh, maybe I can know. learn a few,
2: few things. <laughs> Never know. <laughs>
0: He's got that nervous laugh right now. As a law enforcement guy, said so you don't you don't want to say that. <laughs>
2: Never know. It's pre recorded. There you go. There we go. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you both having me. Um, you know, I've I've for young age, thirty four. Well, not young anymore, but definitely had my experiences and been around a, a little while and. I've seen a lot of different cultures, a lot of diversity, um, met a lot of people that I've come across that come from all different backgrounds and, you know, childhoods and different professions, different um, classes in society. Um, Some have been fortunate, others less fortunate. Um, Especially in a time that we live in today, you know, it doesn't hurt to have that type of experience and knowledge yeah. um, to be exposed to a little bit of everything when it comes to mankind. Yeah. What was it like growing up for you? I grew up, you know, middle-class. Fam- well, you know what? Let me go back on that. Actually, when at my younger ages, my, my parents were not very um, well off at all. I mean, I remember my mom taking me to, you know, secondhand stores and things like that, because that's, that's the type of clothes I wore. Mm -hmm. My parents didn't own their first house until probably I was in my twenties. You know, it, it took them a while to get there. They worked, you know, hard. My mother was a, um, a woman that, you know, went to nursing school late in her life, you know, became a. An RN and a manager later in her life, and you know, carved out a good, successful career. My dad actually was a police officer as well. You know, for three decades, over three decades. Um, you know, it was a traditional family, um, but they they made it work, and they were they were great parents. You know, I have a brother, you know, who I'm very close to um, you know, he's, he's become very successful and all that's because of, you know, my parents, um, we didn't have anything. And even now they don't have everything. Um, but you know, it's just the way life is supposed to work. You know, how they've worked is how life is supposed to work. And how they raised us is, you know, how I think people should raise their kids. You know, we've grown up good. We've stayed out of trouble. We've, you know, worked hard, went to school, got our jobs, and we do our thing, you know, we we make a living, we live our lives, and, you know, just happy to come across anyone we meet.
0: Yeah, well, what would you say during that period of time, Ryan, and those critical growing up years that was some of the things that you were taught that, that kind of you still use today to navigate life with, what were some of those principles and things you'd say, hey, this is what I learned. This is what you need to remember.
2: Maybe just respect number one, um, no matter who you come across. You know, again, we started, I started off, you know, wearing things that that came cheap. You know what I mean? Because my parents didn't have that type of money. Remember back in the, mid eighties police were starting off at seventeen thousand a year, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom was not yet she actually worked in um she was like a an aide, like a nurse tech for a long time before she went and became an RN. So um even to this day, you know, they it's a very hard job, you know, a lot of labor involved, but still not any money involved. So we learned from a very young age the value of a dollar, you know. Mm. Um, Allowance to us was very valuable, which meant behaving to us was very valuable because if you don't behave, you know, if mom and dad get a call from the teacher or the principal, then, you know, you're not getting that. So, you know, we had a little bit of incentive there. Um, But respect, um, really realism, I would say, is something that I probably carry most in my life now from growing up. My dad, especially, was always a realistic guy. He wasn't one that would get your hopes all up just to make you feel all great inside, you know what I mean? But it was all out of tough love, you know what I mean? He he wasn't going to say... Hey, Ryan, you're going to be, you know, a millionaire someday, you know, he said, that's great if you do, but don't sit here and think that, you know, everything's going to be just a skate in the park. It's not. So just those two things, probably, you know, just respect, you know, realism, appreciation for things. Um. Because even now, you know, I would consider myself probably a a frugal person. I think all the time about the small things that I've been given. And when I say small, I'm talking about things that get overlooked all too often by anybody, you know, in this world. Health, you know, um, our freedoms. You know, there's people living in different countries that... They don't have what we have, you know? We can do things like this that we're doing right now. Others can't. Things like that my dad always, you know, ingrained in us because he had a job where he was given ultimate authority where he could take someone's freedom away in just a snap of the fingers. But what caused that? Misbehaving. So it all kind of comes full circle as far as how we were raised. You know, we knew not to disobey things. We knew we weren't always going to like it. Things could be unfair at times as we saw it. But, you know, if you waited it out and stayed patient, you'd see why Dad always said what he said. Mm.
0: How how him being a policeman, uh, if I recall, you're saying he, he did that till you retired. Is that right?
2: Yeah, he was, I mean, he was active probably seven of my 10 years. Mm. So we worked together seven out of 10 years. Did you see him a lot when you were on? No, we were in, you know, we were in different divisions and stuff. Different shifts. um, Yeah, different shifts. As you get older in the department and you have more time, you know, you, you, uh, at least then. Again, I've been gone for a little bit now, but um, you get a little more leeway, you know what I mean? Like, as far as better schedules, you know, you're off on the holidays, you, you won't get, you know, the shifts no one else wants, you know what I mean? When that, That's just the luxury of having his status with that sort of time on. When you're a guy like me, when I was there, even 10 years on, while it was veteran status, it you know, I there were so many other guys and women that had so much more time on than I that I was still kind of, you know, the, uh, you know, I didn't have the pickings for, you know, the nice days off, you know, whether it be Christmas, New Year's, Halloween, all the days that anyone would want off, you know, but I didn't get those until later in the game for sure. But he had been there. Not many had his type of time on, so he had been there for 10, 15 years before I even came around. So,
0: mm. How did your family, with your dad being a policeman, and of course he was, had been doing that for a long time before he even went to that force, um, how did you handle any crisis that came up in the family? I mean, were there things that were challenges for you, you all as a family?
2: Um, when we were both active? You mean, or or, any any period of time? Well, growing up, I remember my brother and I, my mom too. We we all worried, you know. Police work was always one of those things where you weren't sure Mm -hmm. if you were ever going to see your loved one again. You know what I mean? And at a very young age, I knew that, and at a very young age, I had anxiety about that. You know, back then there were beepers, no cell phones, no. Texting, no emailing, no nothing really. I mean, it was a beeper and most of the time, you know, on the, you know, patrolling the streets out there, you'd have to stop at at a, a phone booth. So there was no telling when he might get back to that and get back to us. So that, that was probably the first time when things in the family at least weren't Smooth because, you know, if the kids worry, then mom starts an argument when dad gets home. Why didn't you answer this amount of time, this amount of time? Not knowing, you know, there's things to do out there. It's it's very busy. You know what I mean? You're not always going to be around a payphone. Mm. You're not always going to have that time. Work out the anxiety that his family might have had. 'Cause as I come around, that's when my dad started worrying, you know. Mm. He didn't want me to be an officer at all. So when I did become one, anytime anything would come over the radio, I remember him always saying he would he would especially turn things up, you know, the volume up and see where it was, see what was happening, who was involved, because he was worried that I was into some dangerous situation. And of course, you know, natural, you want to help your family member, or in this case, your son. So that it just all came together. It really came full circle, and it opened my eyes to not filling my dad's shoes, but definitely living in them, because it uh, it was an eye-opener. Yeah.
0: And before we talk more about the police, obviously, before that, you went to a broadcast school out of high school. Mm-hmm. and which was uh, several months of some intense training
2: in that regard what what led you to to broadcast school Well as I was saying earlier my dad was always he was always real from the get go you know he was never one of those guys that says you know you're you're going to be you know a big league ball player one day My brother and I loved baseball we still do to this day We loved all sports football and baseball though were our main ones But we also knew the odds were we weren't becoming an NFL or an MLB player. So next thing for me that I always looked at was, well, I love sports. I want to stay in it. But I know that's not going to be my way in because I just didn't feel even I had that ability, that gifted ability that only a few have. So I was like, let me figure out what I could do there. Broadcasting it was. So from the beginning, that that's out of high school. Said, I said, I don't really feel like going to a normal college yep. because broadcasting is the way I want to go.
0: And broadcasting would have been your connection to sports or, or whatever. Right, yeah. yeah.
2: So initially I, I looked at it not really as radio, more as like sports talk because that's what I always enjoyed always enjoyed just the gift of gab i've always enjoyed just the natural organic conversation people can have and watching it build from there especially about a subject that i was really passionate about and at the time knowledgeable you know um so that's how it started you know it was me not feeling i was good enough to pursue something else so what is the next best step and um that's what that was.
0: So when you said your dad was kind of a, a realist in that perspective, would he say things like, you know, hey, the chances of making it to Major League Baseball are like this? So not that he discouraged you. He, he would just reel about how the chances.
2: Yeah. So, as we, you know, our whole growing up, our childhood, we, we were always involved in, you know, Little League or travel baseball or, you know, even high school sports and things like that. But, and he always said, yeah, enjoy it, love it, play it, it's great. And maybe you will, but don't make that your, your, your end all be all. You know what I mean? Go out there and do your thing. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy it. Don't be worrying about who's watching it. Don't be worrying about, it was kind of like opposite of how things are now, where you can, you know, not do so hot and, you know, you're still congratulated or whatnot, but for him it, it really was, don't worry if you have a bad game because it shouldn't be like, oh man, scouts are out there watching you. Oh, the Orioles could sign you tomorrow. It wasn't like that. He wasn't a false hope kind of guy. So in the end, he just didn't want us to feel let down if it didn't happen. He kind of wanted us to shoot for the stars, but don't Base that off of, don't base your love of the sport off of that. Don't make yourself hate the sport if you don't get to where one out of a million people get. So I would say that, I would say that, I would describe that as probably his philosophy as to why he was that way. But he was always encouraging. I mean, he was always the first one, you know, out in the backyard with us, you know, throwing us ground balls or hitting us line drives or, taking us to the field and you know just any batting practice football I mean we had a good group of friends growing up and we'd have you know pickup games and it was all good you know it was um kind of that wonder years show Mm. type of fun you know what I mean Mm. and we had a good time it was uh but you know he he held us in, in a way where we weren't we just weren't going to consider ourselves failures if we didn't reach a certain level. And I think in the end that really helped us because it made us segue early in our lives to figure out what we wanted to do with ourselves. Mm. You know, and if the, the, if baseball came knocking, then fantastic. But if it didn't, what's our plan B going to be? Right. And that's what he, that's what he aimed for. Exactly.
0: You, you did, after broadcast school, you, you end up working a few places that, that you used your trade in that regard. I think you told me you were at, a, at one station and you did either traffic, weather, or something like that. Is that right?
2: Yeah, so I, I, did, a, I did traffic at first, um, which was interesting. Um, you and know, you, 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 think, you think you hear someone on the radio doing traffic and you're like, oh, that, that's quick. That's a nice, easy job. Even I, myself, I thought that. I was like, oh, this is going to be a walk in the park. Uh Uh-uh. That is a... Think of just driving, right? Like, wherever you want to go. Knowing your routes and things. Sometimes people are just such as myself. I'm not great with street names. Every now and then I am, but not often. More so, I just know by feel. Am I making a left? Am I making a right? You know, where am I going? This, that, the other. In traffic, you need to know all the routes, all the exits, the names of those exits, the directions of where they're going, what's the, and the differences between highways and beltways and freeways and this and that. It is so in depth and so detailed, and you gotta like you, you gotta go fast with it. I mean, you just gotta name those things off. Because you only have about a you know, 30, 45-minute um, you know time frame to, to get that stuff done. And where I was, we would do different stations, multiple different stations. So once I got done with this station, I'd go to another station and then another station. And it was multiple stations. So that was probably the toughest part of my radio career. It was my first pr- – well – I should say I I had another first, my first stop was actually news radio. That was very brief. That was straight out of the academy. Then I went to do traffic. So my first real exposure to live radio was the traffic, I would say, because it was more, the longevity was there as far as just getting into the groove of things. So it was hard. It was hard. And afterwards, I wasn't sure if radio was my thing. And then after that, I get a call from a, a real older guy over in the Midwest. And, um, you know, I'm 18 at the time. And he calls and he goes, is this Ryan? I go, yep. And he goes, I'm interested in, in having you uh, run three of my stations. And I said, Okay. You know, very nervous. So next thing you know, I'm out there in the Midwest and uh, interviewing at 18 years old to, you know, be a director of news for, for three different stations, although a small market. But it was a tri-state region, which is covering three states. And um, for an 18-year-old, that's pretty, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a pretty big deal. You know, anytime. You hear your voice live on, even in your own car. The fact that it's on an AM or FM radio, it's kind of, um, it's kind of ear opening, I guess, not eye opening, because you know, radio is all about the hearing, not the visual. But it was, it was quite the experience.
0: So you you were actually the news guy then for, for some of these stations. Once
2: I got done traffic, right, I moved across the country. At 18 years old, and I became a, a news director for a uh, for three stations in a in a tri-state region of the Midwest.
0: Well, I I, <clears throat> I can't help but to say, hey hey, can you give us like a little sample of like reading the news in the morning or something like that? I mean, Luke, we don't have any news like feed background here, do we? That we could plug in. Maybe no, you open. could add that sound effect with the
2: helicopter and stuff.
0: You know, <laughs> later on, uh, as he gives us a sample of reading off the news. Go ahead.
2: Go oh do my, some. I'm I'm retired. I don't, I you know the the thing with the small markets is things are pre recorded, and so news. Then I mean it's a lot different even now than than it was then. I mean we're looking at gosh, I'm 34. So what's what's that 14? What's that 16 years ago almost? I mean so a lot of things there were pre-recorded if something breaking happened that that sucked because i had to go back in re-record everything of what just broke include all the other stuff still get it within the 2 minutes i mean it it, it was tough it was stressful but it was fun it was fun and in a small town environment you get to meet a whole lot of people and you literally are their source over there you know for news so not only you better get it right, but if you don't, you're you're going to be hearing from them. You know what I mean? And where I was in particular, it was a big coal town, you know. And my signal happened to be the only one that the miners would, the coal miners, would uh, be able to receive. You know, below ground, what they with what they were dealing with. It was at a bunch of oil rigs, um, you know, where my uh, listener base. So, and, and, you know, those are some rough dudes. Yeah. You know, you, you don't, you don't give them what they want. They're, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna tell you, especially if they see in public. Cause you know, in most markets, a radio guy, you know, unless you're syndicated, they don't know who you are. You know what I mean? But over there, they knew, they know who you are. And, uh, so it, it was, it was different, especially for a young guy from a, you know, a big East Coast town that goes over there to the sleepy, you know, I guess, uh, yeah, to the sleepy Midwest there, and um, it, it was a different atmosphere, um, just a different way of writing the news, different way of bringing it out, like the delivery. It, it was just a, it was a different animal. Yeah, but an experience I will never ever forget and one that I would I wouldn't trade for anything it was really good and it taught me a lot it taught me a lot about just being a man in general it taught me a lot about paying my own bills and you know living on my own and not having mom and dad there to be there and support you if you, you know someone hurts your feelings or you know something didn't go well at work or what not you know what I mean there was a phone call but there was no person-to-person interaction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I had to go out and make new friends and meet new people, all foreign to me because I had my group of friends where I was. You know, I had all my family. I had my support system. But it's something I'll never forget. And I think a lot of what i become today started there, actually, at 18 years old. Wow. So... So
0: going back to the whole traffic thing, did you ever do it like a segment to where like there was a cow struck at you know Chocolate Avenue and Dairy, and there was like utter destruction, something
2: like that? <laughs> that that would have that would have been great. However, I I never got to do something like that, and that would have been tough to keep a straight face on sure. on the air, or not straight face because you can't see me again the whole radio thing. But it would have been hard to withhold a laugh. I happened to be in a market where they had a big race annually, NASCAR race mm-hmm. annually. And man, during that time, like it was just traffic was nuts. I mean, I, I couldn't keep up with that. You know what I mean? I, I I was already out of my realm of, you know, my comfort zone as far as what I learned at the academy. We never learned traffic. We We never did that. You know, I knew more news and sports. So I already, I thought stunk at the job as it was. And then when the race came around, I mean, you got crashes picking up left, right, you know, got to know you're looking at all the traffic cams that they have. And when police arrive on scene and, you know, when one little lane opens up, when a shoulder opens up, who's getting by. And then you have to always use different terminology. Like, uh, I remember one, the first day I was there, they were like, don't call it an accident. It's like, Why? They're like, because it's not really an accident. Every time there's an accident, you know, quote unquote, someone screwed up. You know, whether it's speed, whether it's negligence, whether it's being on a phone, whether it's, you know, whatever. It, it doesn't matter. What Somebody wasn't paying attention or somebody was, somebody did something to screw something up. So that was corrective action number one, They. They took against me once. I once I, you know, turned my mic off. They were like, "It's not an accident. Well, well, it's either a crash or a collision, an incident, right? Or a traffic incident, traffic delay, traffic jam, traffic backup." And then there was different terminology they wanted you to use. They didn't. They didn't want you using the same thing all the time. Like just, um, let's say delays. They wanted you. traffic is crawling, or a pump of the brakes here around the, the bend of so-and-so road. And you just had to really like, um, a lot of it was improv because it was just, you had to make it up as you go. And not get
1: stale, keep it entertaining.
2: Right. It, It just, and I wasn't good at that because a, it wasn't a subject. Traffic was not a subject I was at all interested in. I took that job to get my foot in the door They always say, you know, your first opportunity, try and take it, especially if it's out of your comfort zone. That way you get that part out of the way and you become experienced in it. And then, you know, from there it's all downhill and you might actually cruise. And that is a little bit of what happened. You know what I mean? My second job was what I was comfortable in. Um, It was an old radio station. So I had to learn all new boards because the stuff that I had in school was, you know, a little newer and updated I mean, not Restless Podcast updated, but, you know, it was it was newer. This station that I started when I w- did news radio, hmm, I, they were made before I was born. That was for sure. I mean, probably 70s type of radio, you know, and Johnny Dark and all those guys. Oh, were yeah, there. absolutely. Yeah.
0: By, by all means, did, were you able to control, like, the transmitter power coming
2: out of the towers and stuff like that? No, no, we had this engineer and he was a, he was an older fella. And he was, he, he would cover all the stations that were under my station's umbrella. So the guy that hired me, he owned a bunch of stations in a bunch of small towns. And, you know, he had, he had a raggedy group of guys. They knew what they were doing, Mm -hmm. but they were old school, old school. You know what I mean? And they just had their system. They had their way of doing things. And don't you touch it. You know what I mean? And it's none of your business how it's done or how it's fixed. <laughs> you know, yes. so. Stay in your lane. That's right. And that, exactly, that's what I did. There I, you mean, go. I, didn't make no, I didn't make any noise. Well, how long did you do that? Uh, about two, a little over two years in, in radio. Were you happy? And I was because I was learning a lot. And every day was something new. Um my first job I was salaried, making gosh, what was I making? I was I wanna say I was making five hundred and fifty bucks every two weeks, salaried, mm. sixty hour weeks because in these small in these and they knew they could do it because That's I was because I was eighteen. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But in a small market, and even to this day, radio, unless you make it, and when I say make it, I'm talking syndication. You know, whether that be Howard Stern or um, Opie and Anthony, those kind of guys, you're you're just not making the money. No. Unless radio you're in a bigger is, um, market. And even then you're you're not gonna be making, you know, a quarter million. You're gonna be making, you know, seventy five to one fifty, something like that. But where I was, they knew what they could have and for what price, and that's what they got it because that's the price they always used to say, and this was something my dad would always say too, paying your dues. And um, I was all right with that. Yeah. You know, because it it gave me experience that had it was priceless. The experience was priceless. The work ethic that it taught me, that it instilled in me, was priceless. And it just got me learning how to cover different things i would go one day from an ice fishing derby to a uh to a dog race you know like when they did the uh, like the iditarod but it was a sled dog snow dog yeah. race whatever they call those things yeah and then the next day i'd be covering the general assembly you know what i mean and it was just non-stop and it just kept me going and it kept my brain working and different styles of writing for each thing. You know, some stories like the ice fishing, you, you can take a step back and be a little more conversational and a little more personable with your stories. And then with the General Assembly, you know, politics is all serious. And, you know, did you have a radio voice? That I don't know. Um, I, I never was fond of my own voice. Always thought I had sort of like a, like a East Coast accent, which I never liked. I never had any complaints on my voice though. I though, when I, you don't really understand yourself, or I shouldn't say understand, but you don't really hear yourself until you're in something like this where you can hear yourself. You know yeah. what I mean? But like when you're talking just in general conversation, you don't really know how you sound. But if you leave a voicemail and you hear yourself on a voicemail, it's like, man, what, what who the heck would hire you? Like, that's how I felt about myself. Yeah. I, I never, I never liked my voice when I heard it. But I also never at the same time got any complaints about it.
0: Now, were those boards back then? It's good to talk about radio because obviously we're not in radio. As podcasting. is just a different form of getting communications out there. But,
2: it's a better form of radio, honestly. Yeah,
0: I, I think mm-hmm. so in the end.
1: Because it's free. Uh, yep. Yeah, for the most part. Well, by free, I mean as in it's open source. Right. Anybody for a relatively lower than definitely average startup cost – can get into this one way or another, and they can talk about whatever the heck they want. And That's
0: right. Eliminates the middleman. It eliminates the middleman, middle and it diversifies the message out there. So, one hundred percent, no one captures the message or narrative.
2: One hundred percent. And
1: it's no wonder why. Not to go on a tangent here, but alternative media is skyrocketing and completely overtaking the old guard.
2: Yeah, you're right. I, see, I'm still, I'm st- not, and again, not to get off subject, but I'm still a big wrestling fan. I love wrestling, and I am talking like the WWE, AEW, mm-hmm. that type of stuff. Man, I remember NWO. Yes, uh, legendary. <laughs> yes, those were the days, the good days before everything got so. That's when it
1: was just so fun. Yeah, because it was just the wild west, and it was like it was ridiculous. But that's why we loved it.
2: Right, it was just fun, so entertaining. But these guys in there, you know, now, ever since the. 80s, late 80s, when, you know, anyone that didn't know it was real, I mean, come on, you need your head checked. But anyway, when it did finally become official, that it wasn't officially real, these guys started being able to be themselves and, you know, take their, Mm -hmm. you know, go off character and actually talk like human beings. That's a big thing with wrestlers now is the podcast. People can actually get a hang of who they're fans of as people. You know, like my favorite wrestler was Sting. He's on all kinds of podcasts now and he's just talking as his normal self. And it's really cool to hear, it. like the backstage shenanigans that would go on and just all the predetermined stuff. And it's just neat. It's neat to listen. So
1: Sting was cool and yeah. then Undertaker was cool. Right. Stone Cold. Exactly. Hawk Hogan.
2: Yes. Just the guys. So it's a form of entertainment business, I mean. Right? Yeah. I and though you could get hurt. Oh, oh, absolutely. But What I'm saying is this podcasting stuff has opened up a whole new, you know, alternative for them and for the listeners. You know, I don't want to sit here and listen to FM radio where there's a commercial every five seconds. Why would I want to do that?
1: You know what I mean? Even the biggest podcasts that do some sponsorship and advertising to support themselves, which they should, it's just going to be like one, maybe two 10 to 30 second spots read by the host. So you're familiar with it anyway. And it's just going to be like, Hey, you know, we've got a spot for so-and-so
2: today, blah, 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 blah. That's it. Right. Now you got three hours of content. Exactly. And for the most part, it's so watered down because remember they're at the mercy of the sponsors. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like if X, Y, and Z host says something that the program director says, Oh man, don't know if I can air that. Then he hears from the sponsor. It's all downhill from there. Mm -hmm. Podcasting has really eliminated all that where people can talk about what others want to hear. And if you don't like it, there's a million other podcasts out there to go ahead and listen. And
1: even when it comes to sponsorships and, and, and other stuff like that, where some podcast hosts will get tied to for support. As I mentioned, it's still your show. You own it. Like, yeah, you, you get a, You get somewhere good enough with this thing, and you know they don't get to boss you around anymore. It's like, yeah, I'll cover your product. I'm going to say what I want about it,
2: though. Right. Yep. It's the truth. Absolutely, and 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 that's what I think. I'm not a big technological guy. It's which is weird because you know I've been in broadcasting and all that, but I'm not a social media guy. I don't no. like it. I'm not big into anything computerized. I'm just not. But this is one thing that I do think the world needs is just more options. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't make things so much of an echo chamber.
1: Tech for, for all of its shortcomings, it, you know, it does have its, its upsides. And I really do think alternative media like this mm-hmm. is one of them. And yeah, it's an, I think it is kind of up to us and our generation to make the most of the upsides of tech. While trying to mitigate the downsides.
2: Yep. I agree 100%. So sorry, I went off on a little No, no, that's, what, I, that's there. what we do here is we go down back alleys and talk
0: about things that uh, sometimes just doesn't get talked about.
1: And you all listening got a little insight into podcasting.
0: Yeah. There you that, go. And besides that, we're, we're sitting here with a guy who started his career out on radio. He went to broadcast school. So we're learning a few things on the way as well. And that's good. It's good stuff.
2: Uh, you all run circles around me these days. I don't know about that. <laughs>
0: so, so you did this for two years, and all of a sudden,
2: you're thinking about going to the police department. Yeah. So the the way I always looked at it, growing up, I, I did always have goals from a very young age, from what I remember. So being the son of an officer, I I always looked up to my dad. He to this day, I mean, he's my best friend, and you know, I mean, he was always, you know, my hero. Just because he was great. He he had a tough job and he just always took care of us and it doesn't matter what it is. I could always count on my dad, tell him anything and, you know, sure. Sometimes it would result in a stern talking to, but I had that, that respect, that comment, the perfect combination of like fear and respect. You know what I mean? Going all the way back from elementary school, if I would get in trouble I know I'd I'd have to deal with my dad, but you want to know something? It always made me better. I always, I was never scared, but always feared him enough to respect him. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, my whole life he was an officer. So, you know, that's what I wanted to be. However, out of high school, you know, you're only 17. So I was like, well... I've always wanted to do the broadcasting thing, too, because I couldn't become a major leaguer. So it's like, what if I went to school, you know, the, the, since I wasn't going to go to a four-year, wasn't going to take too long, you know what I mean? What if I went to school, got a little bit of knowledge in the broadcasting, went out and did that, see how I liked it, you know, if I made it big again, you know, listening to my dad say, you know, don't don't shoot for the stars, you know, just enjoy doing it, learn, That's what I did. I learned. I wasn't expecting to go straight to New York City or L.A. and become the next big morning show talk host. You know what I mean? I I wasn't going to do that. So when that came around, you know, and I turned 20, I was like, I've gotten a taste of this. It was fun. It was nice. But I haven't gotten to the point where I can really support myself comfortably. You know, the benefits weren't great, you know, as far as healthcare and things like that. And at a young age, I was already thinking of that stuff because that's what happens when you're 18 and you're on your own, you know, 2,000 miles away from anything you've ever known. So I was like, I have to start thinking about this stuff. And I did always want to become a police. How cool would it be to, you know, do that just like my dad, the person I've always looked up to. So after the two years, here I am, 20 years old, like... Let's do that. You know, let's let's see at a very young age if I can check off two of the major boxes that I've set for myself. And that's what happened. Mm. I went there and um, joined and joined the academy and got out there. And by 21 years old, I had done two things, two careers that I've always looked at as being pretty darn cool. Yeah. So that that's really how that happened.
0: So you came back east, and you applied uh, to go into the police force, mm-hmm. a large city on the east coast, mm-hmm. and uh, you were accepted. Mm-hmm. Well, what yeah. happens next? I mean, did your dad know about what your intentions were? He did. What was he, he thinking? I mean, what was he
2: Was he excited about that idea, or was it, was it worrisome to him? It was worrisome for him, but he also wasn't going to get in my way of doing it. He was going to be supportive of it. Mm-hmm. And definitely used his knowledge to prepare me for it. So when I went into the academy, unlike most of the recruits, you know, I knew what to expect. I knew the inner workings, so to speak, of the department. I knew what I was getting myself into. Um, And and I kind of had a, a, you know, a heads up on it because of his knowledge, which was, I mean, it, he was there forever. You know what I mean? So, but something like the academy, I was never, the police academy, that is, I don't think anything can, unless you were a military type of guy, which I'd never been, you know what I mean? I'd never been to a boot camp type of situation or, you know, a sleep away, uh, uh, you know, uh, boot camp, you know what I mean? I've never been to that type of military atmosphere where, you know, everybody's all up in your face, you know, and telling you get down and give 20 pushups and, you know, go run three miles and do this, that, the other. I, I never experienced that. And I'd never been one, even to this day, to allow someone right up in my face and just, you know, spout off insults and things like that. But that's their job. You know, they want to try and break you down and do whatever they can to weed out those who they don't see fit to be there.
1: I got to give you the old of man out of you.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, the old uh, full metal jacket type of deal over there. I, so I don't think anyone, again, unless you're military, something like that can expect that. And I, it, that was hard on me at first, especially knowing what I knew, you know what I mean? Um, it was hard on me just to keep quiet, be quiet, be talked to that way. And um, it, it was just a whole, it, it took a lot of getting used to. Hmm. Uh, so. That was probably my hardest time in the entire department was just the academy. I, the best thing about it was it got me in good shape as far as like confidence. You know, I, you know, afterwards there was my stamina when it came to anything, whether it was running, weightlifting, it didn't matter. Sports, you know, which I love to do was great. I could go all day, but it just was, it was a real drag day in and day out you know. Um, How many months was that? The academy itself was about six and a half months, and then you go through, what was it, like 14, 15, 16 weeks, something like that, of, of the field training program, which is where you're still a trainee, but you're in uniform, you know, you, you have um, your your field training program, where you, where you're accompanied by a senior officer, and you're pretty much doing all the work for them but they that that's them teaching you the ropes um, so all together what's that like 8 9 months something like that so um, and that up until that point was my biggest education I've ever had because the academy taught me nothing literally nothing i felt and i don't know how other you know police feel when they come out of an academy but I felt dumber when I walked out than when I walked in because mm. everything was just so, it, it was just so like, what what can we do to just break you all down and let you all know that you're just stinking recruits? You know what I mean? You know, show us you're tough enough to go on the street type of deal. So really the only time I learned about the streets was being on the street. Mm. I didn't learn crap in the academy. So it did nothing to prepare you,
0: maybe other than the physical side of you for what really happens on the streets. Oh no.
2: Nothing will prepare. I mean, when they talk trial by air, that that's that's prime example. There was nothing in that academy that prepared me. I will say this the academy was the first and last place. Well, I can't say last place because I went on to become a police officer. The police department was actually the first and last place where I, where I ever had dealt with any guns. I had never touched a gun prior to joining the police department. And since I have left, I don't deal with guns. I just don't. It's not something I'm into. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I had never gone to the range. I had never even as little as fired a paintball gun. Or a BB gun prior to the police department. I knew nothing. So I'll never forget the first time I went to the range as part of my academy class. I was awful. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I couldn't hit water out of, you know, if I was shooting from a boat. That's the old
1: expression, broadside of a barn.
2: (laughs) I was awful. And the the instructors were like, what the hell are you doing? You know, like, what are you firing at? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) You know? Um, so did you know what you were supposed to be firing at? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it, whether it hit it or not was a different story, sure. You know? it, I mean, I, I wasn't as awful as what I'm making out, but either way, I failed. You, you had to get a certain uh grade percentage on there, and yeah, that the, the first uh round there did not go well. After that, though, I got the hang of it. I think you know, it was just getting over the nerves of you know, not that I feared a gun, yeah, it was just I.
1: Well, it's just that, you know, picking up a firearm for the first time. not even a firearm, just a powerful, potentially dangerous device that you know you need to wield and operate responsibly and proficiently.
2: Yeah, I had no idea. Like, I didn't know what to expect from the kickback or something that made that type of noise just from a little, you know, a little trigger. You know what I mean? To me, it was all fascinating and new, and I just... Didn't know it,
1: it, It's funny because I, I like to shoot clay pigeons from time to time. Remember the first time I picked up a shotgun and did that for the first time. My first question was like, "Is this thing going to kick the crap out of me?" Oh, okay, it's not that bad. And then uh, yeah, you just start having fun. But if I ever teach a friend to shoot for the first time and you know shoot clay pigeons or something, that's always the first thing out of their mouth: "Is it going to kick me really bad?" It's uh-huh. like, oh no! But you just have to do it. You got to
2: experience it exactly, and then you'll know it. Yep and that's exactly right and that's what it took and after that i was okay you know what i mean but th- so i guess aside from the physical element of it you know getting in shape and then that part of it learning and knowing how to shoot a gun for your first time ever um and thank goodness i never had to ever use it in the in the department but that that's an experience you'll you'll never forget because mm-hmm. i mean it's like that's your primary that's what police are known for, right? Carrying a gun. It's Badges, called
1: a, handcuffs, and guns.
2: It's called a gun belt. You know what I mean? You have it holstered with you at all times, yet here I am, you know, 20 years old at the time in the academy, never having touched one. So it all worked out all right, but it was it was definitely uh, an experience. And I don't think my dad ever, like, thought about it in that way. Because I don't know if it ever really crossed his mind that, oh, you know, he, you know, Ryan's never shot a gun or anything. It was just never something I was ever into. I never asked him, and I'm not very sure that he would ever say yeah either. Because he was the kind of guy when work was over, it was, it wasn't about work anymore. You know what I mean? so we didn't really talk much about work uh, for him when I was younger. So,
0: yeah. So you end up out on the streets. Yeah, and, and you see the world as it really is.
2: Yeah. Um, so again, nothing really could ever prepare you for that. Um, you know, I hate to say that it kind of leaves you with a uh, with a negative taste in your mouth. You know, um, but in, but the but the world itself, society itself is not all that kind. Um, You do get to see what other people go through, their, their living conditions. And as a police officer, you always see people at their worst. It doesn't matter what it's for. A 911 call normally is someone's worst experience of that day. Do you know what I mean? And possibly of a lifetime, depending on what the situation is. That 911 call could mean someone's death. It could mean someone being very ill. It could mean someone being very hurt. It could mean that it's someone very special to the person who's calling. It could be someone that's just very irritated and needs some calming down. Either way, no matter what the situation, it's always someone's worst moment. Even if it's something where someone's passing by a Good Samaritan type of case and they see an awful crash on the side of the road and they're the ones that happen to pass by it, see it first, and call 911. It's still shocking to someone to have to see that and call it in.
1: Yeah, no decent person wants to see another person suffering. Right, no. Especially not to that extent.
2: And then, right, and being the one that responds to it was new too because here I am again, a young excuse me, a young guy, you know, trying to figure out my own way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then I'm just thrown into this world where you're expected to make the decisions for grown people where at times, most of the time, they're your elders. Do you know what I mean? I do. And they have way more life experience than you. You know, they have kids. They're married. Some of them have grandkids. You know, some of them are doctors, some are nurses, some are surgeons, some are millionaires, some are poor. Doesn't matter. When you're the police officer that responds, all eyes are on you. Mm -hmm. And I had never seen or been involved in something like that. And that took the most time of getting used to because the nerves of being out there on your own the first day. And being the ultimate decision maker in that small period of time of whatever call you're responding to is a very big, uh, I don't want to say burden, but it's a very big responsibility to feel and know that you have to carry. And um, it really hardens you. And it took me a lot of time to be able to separate the Ryan at work and the Ryan at home type of deal. It, it it turns you into two people in a way, because you can't be like that on the street when you're at home with your loved ones or your friends. It just it just won't work. Um, you know your your emotions, um, your feelings just uh, mentally and emotionally, it's just not going to work. It, it's just not and uh it's just a different way of of wiring yourself. So that took me some time to get used to. Um what what Ryan
0: you know that young guy out on the street who gets that first call that you go to that uh it just shocks you. I mean it just mm-hmm. you hear about him, you don't see him, but now you do. Is there a 911 call that to this day you got like yeah, that still stands out to me.
2: Um, there's so many, Mm. there, there, there's, there's so many, um, you know, a lot of in the, in the city where I worked, a lot of the things you responded to were definitely violent crimes, um, whether it was drug or gang related. And I would say a lot of them were also domestic abuse, mm. and um, so I, I, you know, there's a there's a handful that I can recall, you know, crystal clear, and yeah. each one kind of had their own, I guess, toll that it took on me. Um, there was one where. It, it hit home for me, and that was the one where it actually hit me personally, um, because it was a friend of mine that mm. had taken his own life. Mm. Wow. And um, and you were actually called to this. Well, I responded. I was not the primary Got it. Uh, investigator or the primary unit that was called to arrive on scene, but I uh, I did respond. And because um, I was on duty that day, and uh, that's probably what I keep with me the most because that that person was a very good friend of mine, and he was going through a really tough time, and that put into perspective what me and fellow officers see on a daily basis because I was so close to his family where they knew what we as officers had to see when I don't know how to make sense of, um, to make it more clear of what I'm saying, but all they wanted to do was see their, their family member, you know what I mean? And they, they, they couldn't um they couldn't they couldn't see him so they relied on the police officers on scene and their description and their word on what that scene looked like because at the time it, you know everything's considered evidence and you know so you can't really go on a crime scene if you're just a normal civilian type of
0: did deal. you know it was him when you responded
2: yes mm. mm-hmm. because i was I was notified by by um, a family member about it. Yeah, I was I was working not in that area. I was uh, working in a different division at the time, and um, I was able to go out there and to give them some peace of mind and comfort, to, yeah. n- to let them know that... Someone was there that, that knew him that would handle this in the best right. comforting and that would, way. And as... Although on duty and as a you know, an active officer, I could kind of be their representative at the same time to comfort them and tell yeah. them that while yes, he's deceased and yes, he's taken his own life, that um it's okay. Everything's secure. It's being handled correctly. Exactly.
0: So um and and, and- plus it's probably the kind of scene family doesn't
2: need to see, right? Yeah. Um, yes and no. Uh, yes, because I can only imagine what kind of pain it would yeah cost them, additional pain. Right. They already know what's happened. Right. To see the actual sight afterwards just adds to the pain. Right. But what they've always said to me is, and this is where I say when others kind of get a glimpse, and, and when it hits you... Personally, you get a glimpse into what officers see. They now think I forever have this burden on being the one that saw what they couldn't see and them kind of living through me and what I saw, you know what I mean, on that particular day. And I try and tell them that, no, it's um, it's not at all a burden. You know, that's one thing that I was happy I could do for them Mm. because at the very least, even though it's a terrible loss, it still provided them comfort because I know they trusted me and I trusted them to trust me to give them the best information I could. Um, And I rather, since I've dealt with this type of stuff for a living, where to me it's just a, you know, it sounds terrible, but it's just another day in the office type of deal. Although it hits me harder because it's someone that I personally know and that I knew for a very long time, it's not going to have that impact on me directly as it would them if they were to see that. So I always try and tell them, yes, while this is another day in the office for me, I'm glad that I could take what you call a hit for you and to avoid having you deal with any of that additional unnecessary pain.
0: Let me let me ask you over your course of time in the force,
2: how did your view of humanity change? That's a tough question, um, but definitely a, a good one and, and an important one. I think people... All too often. Police and anyone else. Sometimes we're given too much of the benefit of a doubt. I think we excuse a lot of behavior um, in this world. And I... I'm definitely a big fan of second chances and... Believing in someone being able to change but I don't think we teach the lessons often enough that we should be teaching um, people. Because some of the crimes that these folks commit out there, you know, good people don't, don't, they don't commit that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And what these victims, because remember, a crime doesn't just start and end with a suspect and a victim. It affects everyone. It affects the victim's family. It affects the suspect's family. So it, it's a whole, it's a whole wide net that it creates and has effect on. People can be. So good, but so, so, so very bad. Where. As an evil. Yes. Where human life just matters none. It's the best way I can describe it because. You know, there. Any officer can tell you, any police officer, no matter what beat they've ever worked no matter what agency some of their problem folks that they know and they get to know and you know kind of just always happen to run into you know they can just knowing what someone can be like going from zero to a hundred do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like you'll see you'll see people as that same person turn into someone different in, in a flash. You know what I mean? So you've seen the Jekyll and Hyde of people. Right. And the worst of it, the best and the worst of it. And so I would say I just, it leaves me with an uncomfortable feeling about humanity and, and our ways as a human race, as a species, it's 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 very it's very disturbing, mm-hmm. and I think we have a lot of work to um, to go. And,
0: and I think that's a good note to begin to shift this discussion. And you know what this podcast is about? It's about faith, right? It's about something bigger than us that that since creation has given man a standard and a hope and a direction and much like the laws of the universe that have been set in place that govern the bodies that orbit and hold them in that position. It's same with life and that uh, we believe in faith. We believe in God. We believe in the person of Jesus. You know, where 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 does faith fit in for you? And, and I know it's it's been an ongoing journey for you too and you know, you're still discovering a lot of these things, but you've seen a lot of things, and some of them really have kind of poisoned the well, so to speak. But where where does faith fit in
2: for you right now, or where are you in that journey? My The way I've looked at things always has—I've I've always been God-fearing because I think—I do think he has full control. But I think he can only take things as far as what you want to take them. You know what I mean? And what you want to accept. And so, yes, yeah, sometimes I can, I can get a little negative in how I um, have my faith. Because I, I want everybody to kind of embrace the Lord because I think if they did you wouldn't have the things that I've seen in the police force or during my time on the police force because there's no reason to have those things sure nobody's ever going to be perfect nobody's ever going to follow you know the letter of the law like as it's always written out to be i mean heck nobody's nobody's perfect and i mean <laughs> It doesn't matter who who you are. Everybody, no one's perfect. Whether it's violating the law, something as simple as speeding or something like that. Lying. You know, someone there's always um someone lying about something even petty. You know, it doesn't matter. But I do think if people embraced the Lord more and had just more faith as far as them knowing that someone actually truly is watching you or something, a spirit, no matter what what you think of the Lord and what he is, his existence, whatnot, it doesn't matter. Knowing that someone or something is looking over you and kind of holding you accountable for me is, is big.
1: A supreme arbiter.
2: Right. And... I think the lack of embracing him really um, increases the violent acts and and criminality that goes on in the streets and in our society today. No matter where you're at, even really in the just in the entire world, I think it all starts in the lack of faith and embracing a higher power, because if they did, you would be afraid to begin with to commit those acts. The law itself isn't going to be the one that instills the fear in you and, wants and 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 hold you to that standard. I think the Lord does that. Amen. I mean, you know,
0: the law or a set of standards or morality is one of the arguments for the existence of God, by all means, there. But but you would say that if people embraced and, and and there's a sense there's also the people rejects the whole entire notion, whatever that might be, but that leads from a state of order to a state of disorder. And, and you see seen it firsthand.
2: Absolutely. It, you know, I, I can't sit here and judge as to the reasoning, you know, one person might reject and the other might accept. All I know is to find a, a healthy balance. To find something that is gonna steer you away. It's always good to think you're being judged, even if you don't believe in it, in, in being judged. Do you know what I mean? For me, that that is that's big. Like I always feel sure while you're your own self you're you're your own person anyone is their own person but there should always be someone there especially those if you're in an inner city or you know somewhere urban where you you, you might not have the support system mm-hmm. that others have you might not have a you know whether it's a a father figure someone that you call your mom or a, you know a good friend to call up or anyone that you could call up to say hey i'm feeling kind of down that's where i think the lord could come in and play a role because you always have eyes on you mm-hmm. for me myself i'm i'm not a religious guy but you want to know something i talk to god every day for a long time mm-hmm. every night and you know what I honestly do feel he's listening. Because what good would it do me if I didn't think he was? You know what I mean? I sit there and, you know, some people like confession, you know, and things like that. I don't. I like laying in my bed after i done my day, get done work and, you know, shower and everything else. I lay in bed and I have a 10, 15-minute conversation. And it's just me and him. I don't hear him. I don't have to. I don't see him. I don't have to. But you want to know something? I feel obligated. In a good way. In a good way. Like, yeah. Do I just sometimes want to go to bed? Yeah, I don't want to do this. I just want to go to bed. But after I'm done, I feel really good. Yeah. And yeah, you might not see that instant difference. You know, in what you want. (laughs) <laughs> this is a world that he operates. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're, you're not going to be the first on his list. And, um, you know, while you're speaking to him, so are who knows how many others, you yeah. know what I mean? There's no count. Right. right. But I do think that if others felt the way I do at a minimum, that it would give you some sort of hope. It would give you some sort of direction to at least say you're—to you're, you're to at least feel not as alone. I, I know. I don't that. know if that makes sense. Sure, but. that
0: absolutely makes sense. I know that for over the last number of years, you've hung out with a group of guys who, who talk about faith all the time, who talk about the person of Jesus, who talk about this relational connection in an everyday basis to walk with the Lord— what, what has that done to
2: change you and change your trajectory, or change your thinking?
0: And, and why do you even want to hang out with them?
2: You know, a lot of things with me, as I talked about growing up, it, a lot of things with me is respect, hard work, and life experience. And I got to say, the, the group of guys you're talking about, I mean, I've never met a group that I personally respect so much. You know, each and every one of them has had their hard times, their good times, their bad times, and all the above. But all of them have that one thing that I respect, and that's their work ethic. They take care of their families. They provide for their families, and they're hard workers, and they try and do right, and they're real. There, There's an authenticity about them, which in today's society we've gotten away from is authenticity. And those guys are real. And that they live according to a valuable standard. That's right. Their life experience, there is no there is no substituting for that knowledge. I don't care if you have a Harvard education, okay? But it's your mechanics, it's your concrete pours, guys like that, your farmers— that's what makes the world go round. And those guys are it.
0: Yeah. And, and not to put words in your mouth, but you see this common denominator among them, and they've all experienced their own, in many cases, tragic growing up times of their life, incidences, struggles with drugs, struggles with a lot of things, but there's this common denominator, and they would say it's the Lord that has got taken them from one place to another. Am I making that up?
2: No. And you know again and what i was saying earlier is is you you choose to believe first that that's what has to happen mm. first you have to make that choice to believe okay number 2 you keep going and, and 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 you see i mean what does it hurt that's all i'm saying so these guys again they've they've all hit rock bottom all of them but they chose to believe they chose to dust themselves off and good things have happened. Amen. You know what I mean? Yep. And that doesn't just happen by cause. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. You know, it's 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 kind of like the lottery, right? No, Nobody. I mean, sure. People win the lottery. But let's face it. it's It's not likely to happen. It was like my dad telling me I'm going to make the big leagues. Or that I'm not going to make the big leagues. It's just not happening. So dust yourself off. Give it a shot. Those guys did. And now they're living proof. Because all of them have hit rock bottom, and all of them now have families, beautiful families, good-paying jobs, now hard-nosed jobs, blue-collar mm-hmm. jobs. Mm-hmm. But you want to know, none of those guys, in, in my opinion, I can't. Again, I can't speak for them. I don't think any last one of them, if you spoke to them individually, would ever trade it in. And, you know what I mean? And and let me just say, the leader of that group is personal friend of mine, known him forever, and uh, without him, there is no group, and um, I count on him for a lot, hmm. you know, and uh, he's uh, he's a loyal friend who is always just there to listen, and very so unselfish, <laughs> listens to uh, so, so many other people's, uh, I don't want to call it garbage, but, you know, it's just the, the, their problems... And none of his problems, and um, you know they don't make them like that anymore. So, well, the truth is, you,
0: you guys, it's just every day you're you're walking real life, and and you're getting dirt in your mouth. You're just trying to figure out where you are in this world, because you know there's something bigger than you, and that's in in the Lord Jesus, and and uh, apart from Him, that we really can do nothing. And you guys have this motto, is like, you know, however it, however it needs to happen, we're going to drag each other to the finish
2: line. Is that right? Absolutely. And, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier. See, these guys know because they've, again, they made the initial choice to believe. And then they put that belief into practice. And now they know they're held accountable. They know if they screw up, which is going to happen. It happens every day. We're you not know? perfect. Right. Some are business owners. Some some are in transition where they've been at the same job forever and have to, you know, the time comes where they have to go and find a new job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some have had tragedy as far as their own health issues or family members. But you want to know something? They know that no matter what, there's someone, something, whatever, watching over them. And that is soothing. Yeah. And- that group that you're mentioning plays a large role in that and it's done the same for me and and and, and the biggest thing is you can say what's on your mind and you're not going to be judged for it and you and, and you can trust them and that's hard so hard to find and come by in today's world no matter what is just finding that space that that comfort zone where you can just be yourselves, be a group of guys and you know what? Be vulnerable for a bit, Hmm. you know, and, 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 and it really helps out, you know, you'd be surprised anyone listening out there, what that would, what that does. And, um, all those guys know that they're held accountable in different ways and by who, and it's all helped them. Um, and it's
0: helped me. And, and there's, in that accountability, there's a, an incredible expression of love. And you, and you know, is my sense is, and I've been around a lot of well-educated people, but I I know guys like
2: that, they're not going to be the, the kind of guys you want to die on a hill with. Oh, 100%. And again, their life experience is each one of those guys. I can I can take a little bit from what I know of them and put that towards my own way of living, you know, and it's, it's just a, it's a really good group. And, you know, I've, I've gone through the past couple years here, some tough times where we all, we all fall on down times, you know, and depression is one of those things where you can't always put your finger on it. Sometimes you just don't know why you feel bad. You know what I mean? And so there was a time where I took a brief hiatus from there, but when I jumped back into things, you know, I started feeling good again. And during that hiatus, those guys never went away.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They were always there. I never lost touch with them. I just didn't, you know, attend. I needed time to, you know, to, to get my my bearings back. You know what I mean? And uh, But when I got back, again, there was no, where have you been? Well, you know, why'd you skip out? There's no pressure. You know, and again, earlier I mentioned I'm not what you would call a religious guy, but this particular group, it doesn't it does it doesn't want you to be, it doesn't need you to be. They it, It's all walks of life over there. You know what I mean? They all have one thing in common. They believe and they have faith. And they know that if, if, if you, you know, if you, you walk in that direction and, and, and you do these little small things, no, you know, no perfection involved, and you'll be all right. Amen.
0: So we're almost an hour and a half into this and sort of believe that we've had a great, oh my, a great wow. time talking. Yeah, you know, But I, we're about hope here, mm-hmm. and we always like to leave a message of hope and ask our guests to say, so So, what do you have to say to those folks listening to, to you right now about what your message of hope is? Uh, you've kind of shared that in your expression of hanging out with some guys who who by the common denominator of faith and Christ are doing it are making it every day and are encouraging each other to do that what's your word to leave the audience with about hope?
2: Well I think God has has left a lot unwritten as far as his, his i mean it's 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 all it's all written. You know, we, we learn about it all mm-hmm. the time. I learn about it in that in that group you're you're speaking of. Um, but it's up to you if you if you want to walk that path and, and and see what's in store. But what I would just say is if you think this path that you're that, that everyone's witnessing right now is, is the right one, then I would um, respectfully say you, you might wanna change directions. Um, again, that's up to you. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm no one to tell you where to go, which way to walk or whatnot, but I know that the, the way of, of, of joining these guys and, and looking at the way I, I look at things and that you and Luke do as well and, and having that belief and that faith, it does give you that hope, hmm. where things are going to get better. Things are being looked looked down upon from above, and there's no other direction but to go up. And uh, that's how I look at it. Because trust me, in my experience, you know, whether in the department, um, my family has has you know seen tragedy, and and so has everyone that I've. No, and everybody in their own right has their own tragedy. Um my grandfather's a Holocaust survivor and yeah. he's seen the pits of everything. Yeah. But you know what? He raised eight kids mm. and he gave and they gave him grandchildren and he lived a good life in the end. Amen. And, and, and if you can grow from that, you grow from anything. Absolutely.
0: None of us will ever see something as horrible as that.
2: Thank God for it. Yep. And so, again, there. if you want hope, there you go. Um, he did it. Yep. We've all done it. You can too. Just don't think it has to stay this way.
1: Great word. One thing I would add, though, is, you know, it's easy to talk about hope, and a lot of people, I think, hear that word and go, oh, well, that's a cute feeling or a cute thing to talk about, but uh, we don't talk about what's cute on Restless, the podcast. We talk about reality. Hope is it is not a feeling; it is not fleeting, or at least it certainly isn't intended to be. Hope is a principle, and it's a principle that will come come to light in your own life when it is upheld by the other principles which support it.
2: I I agree one hundred percent. You gotta you gotta want to have it. You gotta want to do better, and um, you know, there's been certain times in my life where do do you want to stay in this rut? Do you know what I mean? What? Why would you want to stay in the rut? It's it's common sense. In in the end, it's common sense. If you want to stay in whatever sorrows you're going through, which look, all due respect, I I can't put myself in anybody else's shoes but my own. It's the only experience I have as, as as a human is in my own flesh. And everybody has their own situation. But no matter what situation it is, hope is universal. It, it 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 it's a shoe that fits everyone. Amen. And you know, and
0: if you listen to any of the press on series that we do, we actually did something on hope and and hope is not defined as, as wishful thinking. In the Greek it's a word that means to bind yourself to something. And in this case, we bind ourselves to the promise of God. And if your hope is something short of that, uh, and you bind yourself to something that's temporal, that that's not going to love you back, that's not going to last forever, then that's what you get. But when we bind ourselves and have the hope to something that's eternal, that's what you're going to get. And that's what you can
2: live through and for. Exactly. And I agree. And I think the Lord, everything that you might believe in the Lord, in the end, at some point or another, you you might not be able to point out a specific time, but everything's reciprocal. Mm-hmm. That's how I've looked at it, and that's that's my experience of it.
0: Well, I think in many respects, it's been one of the the, one of the most real conversations that we have had, as kind of like walking down the streets of, you know the school of hard knocks and the real world. And Ryan, we want to thank you for that journey tonight and, and, uh, the perspective and the trajectory that you took on this conversation. And we really do appreciate that. And, and want to thank you for joining us tonight. This is precious. Thank you. My pleasure. I appreciate you
1: both. Yeah, man, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, I think that was a great story that you told, and I'm not just saying that, uh, your background is a very interesting one and being able to get into the real meat and bones of that, I think was really interesting just in some of the insights that you brought and just where it led to us, where it led us to here at the end, you know, that recognition of how does hope actually function? As you said, Steve, it's something you bind yourself to. And, you know, we, we live in a a culture, which for the most part is, good, but but I'm saying that with a caveat because it's one of freedom and liberty. Freedom and liberty are good things, but just because you are at liberty to do whatever you think you want does not mean it's going to increase the freedom in your life. Hmm. It's really the disciplines that you submit to that will ultimately determine the amount of freedom that you will get to enjoy. And so when we hope, when we bind to something uh, that is of worth Uh, That is lasting. That is what we believe is cosmic, eternal, and incontestable. That's the recipe. And, Ryan, I think a lot of what you described, you know, not necessarily being religious, but we we would say the same thing, honestly, that what you see played out in the lives of those men that you mentioned, and a little bit now in your own that is something that embodies and something in the person of Christ whom we talk about all the time in, our, in this group and on this podcast. As the Greeks believed in the logos, I think they pronounced it more so like logos, which was that ultimate ideal of thought and reason and speech given form so he as the lagos in our lives is the form and expression of those hopes of those standards and values that elevate our lives is that a good way to put it oh i from think from so. the way that you see it in your own life or in the lives of these men
2: absolutely the i mean look i like to think of myself as um not not a tough guy but a but a guy that just looks at things the way it is call balls and strikes mm. and these guys do that for me. And I know if I kind of get out of whack, and they know if they get out of whack, that everybody's going to be put back in a place you know, where they need to be put back together again. We all fall apart. But I think these guys, I think the world of them, I mean, I respect's big for me, and the level of it doesn't get higher. And yeah, I agree with the way you described it. Um, I just, I don't have any other words for those guys.
1: That's been kind of my, yeah, my headspace lately. Just not so much a realization, but just what I've been reflecting on a lot that everything is just principle. Everything is. And those more clearly than we often like to admit spell out how things work
2: yep and and i think everybody just in society alone just needs a dose of that a dose of reality every now and then this i don't i don't think the lord put us here for an easy ride you know what i mean that that's not that's not ever been the incentive you know what i mean no and people need to realize that you're so you're not entitled to anything you know what I mean? You're just not. I, I don't care if you grew up in a upper class family, a lower class family, it doesn't matter. You're not entitled to anything. You're not even entitled to tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you just have to you just have to know that. And you have to just buckle down and do what you gotta do and make sure along the way you thank the people that have helped you through. Amen. Amen.
1: Yeah, we weren't we were not made for an easy or expedient life. We are made for a meaningful one. And uh meaning really has no company with easy because easy's not worth anything.
2: Nope. And it won't teach you anything. And those guys nothing's ever come easy for none of them. Not the leader of that group, not the guys, not the one or two guys that started it with him. None of them. And the youngest members of those group Mm. Or of that group, nope. Amen.
0: And, but that kind of relationship that they they have that you've talked about is, is the kind of relationship that models one that God wants for all of us, and particularly with Himself. So it's not just restricted to them, but it can be for anybody who has that hope and has that connection and that relationship with Him.
2: Right, anyone. Just it's 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 look it's. I, I get it. Easier said than done. Right. But in the end, it's 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 a choice. It's a choice, and it's a choice you won't regret because there is no bad side of it. Do you know what I mean? Of course it's not going to be easy. You're not going to get instant results, you know? But you're also not going to get instant results if you start a diet like me. I, <laughs> I want to be... Uh, 100 pounds less again. But you want to know something? Just because if tomorrow I start eating fruits and veggies, I'm not getting to that weight. You know, you got to be patient, and you got to pay your dues. And persevere. That's right. Persevere and pull each other through and find that that group or find that person. It's hard to find sometimes, but take the time and get close to someone or something the Lord's word that will get you by. Amen.
1: And in the midst of that journey, often tough, challenging, difficult, insert any similar adjective, the one thing about following Christ as well, I said that as the the Logos, he's the personification of all of these highest cosmic ideals and principles, right? Because in a way that's what God is. But he was also a person, and he does get it on a personal level. And as all those perfect things made into a person, bidding you to be like him still along the way, even in the midst of those trials and that journey, he does give you peace right now.
2: 100%. I can't. I can't. I go to bed every night at peace because of him. I mean, that's all there is to it. And I would say to those folks listening
0: out there right now, if, if you want to continue this conversation in some way and say, how, how do I figure out how to get to that place? Contact us at info at com, And we'd love to carry on that conversation about, you know, just some of the things that we're excited about. And, and so don't feel alone.
1: And and we, w- we re- really would like to do that. Uh, I often talk kind of, intellectually about Christ because I do truly see him as the personification of all these most high things. But as I as we said, he is a person and he wants to know you personally. And there is, just quite frankly, some positive, joyful, wonderful feeling that comes of knowing someone like that. Of course there is. Amen.
0: Well, I'm an old guy and I'm getting tired. You you young guys want to carry on the rest of the night. You go for it. But uh, I say we kind of bring this in for a landing. I think we got it. What do you think, Ryan? Good to go, guys. I appreciate you having me. Ryan, Thanks since me. you've been in the radio business for a while, we're going to have you back here. Maybe you could teach us a thing or two.
2: Oh, man. Don't you like your product the way it is now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're always going to do better.
1: All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank uh, Thank you, Ryan. Always a pleasure. Thank you, and good night. Thank you for listening to Episode 16 of Restless the Podcast, titled Respect, A Journey Towards Faith, featuring Ryan. For we here at Restless the Podcast are restless to find the one who said, Come to me, all whom are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For whom is your heart restless? And for today, what is the source of your respect?